very few have asked for. The place where you'll get the truth if you can stay awake long enough. Yes, you've got it. It's SAG 6. Folks, thanks for tuning in. Snag says podcast number 13. Well, isn't it a big night? I'm excited. I'm beside myself. Hopefully you're beside yourself. Tonight is a, a very big podcast, or today, whenever you're listening to it. Isn't the beauty of podcasts? You know, it's we're non-gender specific. We're non-time specific. You get me whenever you want me. You just roll me over and there I am. Yes, tonight we've got uh, some music from Melbourne Outfit El Colosso. Superb rock and roll. A couple of songs from them. Uh, Underrated, overrated. Ask Snag. And a very special guest. So, uh, look, we'll start with our guest because uh, it is an amazing story. Susan Berg, absolutely incredible story that you will be blown away by. promise you that. So, without further ado, let's get into that. After that, we'll do a bit of underrated, overrated, a bit of Ask Snag, and a bit more stuff from El Colosso. So, oh, look, it's a uh, multifunction polis of absolute cerebral and emotional enjoyment. Uh, I hope. Have fun. Talk to you a bit later. Yes, folks, welcome. Uh, Snag says podcast 13. 13, for God's sake. They said it wouldn't last. And it probably won't, but here we are at podcast 13, and uh, it's a bit of a special day today because we've got a guest with us. Um, sometimes, as you well know, we just have a bit of a chat amongst ourselves, but uh, every now and then we have a special guest, and today's one of those days. Um, we have Susan Berg with us this time around, and Susan's got a pretty incredible story to tell, and um, I probably will leave it to her to... Uh, to tell that, but we'll investigate further and uh, just see where she is in her life. It's pretty been a very interesting roller coaster, I think we could say. So, welcome, Susan. Thank you, thank you for having me here. Nice to have you along. In the, uh, did you expect anything as salubrious as this magnificent studio? Or? It's absolutely fabulous. Isn't it? Couldn't have Incredible. wished for anything better. High tech, great coffee. Good coffee. That's mm. a good. I always give the guests <laughs> a good coffee because they often come in a bit slack or a bit lazy. They've, they've made the big trip up from uh, Melbourne and uh, you've done that on your Honda CB650F. Yes, 650F, yes. Another mad motorcyclist. Yes. Can't help yourself. <laughs> got the disease. So, look, uh, it's the elephant in the room. Um, the, the main game of, um, of your story is a pretty incredible one. Mm. And, um, I'll, look, I'll throw it to you to really start from... Uh, well, perhaps I'll introduce the fact that um, Susan had a terrible accident as a, as a teenager... Mm-hmm. which went on to define her life and, and to some extent still does. Um, you, you, you don't, um, those things just don't go away, do they? No, it'll always be a part of who I am. Yes. Mm. So I'll throw it to you. Tell us about what happened. Sure. Well, when I was 15 years of age, I uh, went out in the boat with my parents and my brother. Lovely Sunday afternoon. And uh, we went out fishing for an hour or so and then the boat suddenly sunk. Um, it was getting dark at this point in time. We we had been heading back towards land, um, but the, the engine cut on the boat and my brother turned around and yelled out, there's water in the boat. Uh, he got a, a bucket and tried to bail it out, but the boat went down in less than 30 seconds. 
So, so this um, was this was supposed to be a family day out, mm. a pleasurable day on on Western Port Bay in the boat, yes. family event. Yes, yes. I ended up being family tragedy in the end. Um, we jumped clear of the boat and, and turned it over, and then tried to hold on to the hull of the boat while we did up each other's life jackets. Uh, but the waves just kept sweeping us off the hull of the boat. In the end, it was dark and. There weren't any boats around, and even if there were, they wouldn't have seen us. So we decided that it was best for us to try and swim towards land. Uh, the land was approximately three and a half kilometres away and was now just a, a silhouette in the distance, really. So we started swimming, and uh, not long after we started, my father got into difficulty. My brother went over to help him, which my mum didn't want him to. She wanted Bill to go ahead and to save himself, but Bill said no, that Dad needed his help. So I told Mum to keep up with me and that we'd, we'd swim together. But as time went by, I was getting further and further ahead. And mm. so eventually I said that I'd go ahead for help. Yeah, yeah. You so, felt, um, felt like the stronger of the two and that was the right decision to make. Yeah, I was just getting further ahead and I just felt that there'd be more chance uh, of us you know, getting help yeah, if, yeah. if I could just get yeah get ahead and uh, and get totally to land. Totally understandable. So, uh, I, Mum and I used to keep in contact with each other every you know couple of minutes. She'd yell out, "Susan, are you okay?" And I'd reply. And but then after about an hour, I realised I hadn't heard from her for a while. And uh, and I turned around, and it was just darkness, pitch black. I just mm. I couldn't see them. So I kept swimming. It was it was absolutely freezing cold. It was late. October, so the water at that time is bloody cold. Mm. Um, I, I kept swimming, and then I got the, the, suddenly all these birds started just circling above me, and they were screeching really, really loudly. And I wondered what the hell they were doing there. Like they should have nested for the night, you know? Why were they up at you know ten o'clock at night circling me? And then I had this fear that they were just waiting for sharks to attack me and that they were going to Jeez. pick up the bits that were left behind. Uh, so then I, you know, I kind of was looking around for a fin to, to see if I was about to be attacked and then realised I just, I couldn't even think about it. I just had to, I knew I had to not even think about sharks. I just had to focus on the land and just keep going. So a hell of a thing for a 15 year old. It, it, it was for anybody, but a 15 year old, like to have to take that, Yes. Take stock of the situation like that. It was that. really traumatic a night for me. Really yeah. traumatic experience. Jeez. That's one word. Go yeah. On. So um, look, eventually I um, I got to the point where the water was too shallow to swim, but I also couldn't walk because I was sinking down into mud, so I had to crawl. And I was on hands and knees. And I'd take, you know, a, a, a step forward, whatever you call it, a straight forward, and um, I'd count to 100. And then when I got to 100, I turned around and sat um, um, with my back to the land and used my hands to push myself and counted to 100. And I'd just go over and over until... So it's just thick, thick mud at that point. Mm, thick mud. Uh, and the water, I would guess, was, you know, possibly about knee deep. But I just couldn't... Couldn't stand walk. in it. No, no. So eventually I got to... I thought I'd got to land, but it was only a sandbank. And um, I got there and yelled out to mum and dad and Bill that if they could make it there, that they could rest. But there was no reply and, again, I, I couldn't see them. So I knew that I had to 
get off the sandbank and um, and start swimming again. So getting off the sandbank again was crawling. I had to crawl first because of, of it being mud and then it was swimming again, I think a few hundred metres maybe. But then it got to what I could only describe as thick black mud that was like quicksand and uh, it was just sucking me down, really, really pulling me down and I was up past my thighs, you know, kind of hip waist area and uh, I was grabbing onto shrubs and sticks and anything that was poking up through the mud but it just they just snap off in my hands so I uh, I kept fighting forward and did eventually get to harder ground and uh, and then there was like a hedge in front of me that I had to push through and um, finally got through that thought that I'd be surrounded by houses and cars mm. and loads of people mm. you've made it to humanity again yeah yeah, yeah. Wrong. I had uh, I had actually come across on French Island. Yes. Which, which for, um, for those that don't know, this is in Western Port Bay in mm. Victoria, um, one of the twin bays just out from Melbourne. Mm. And uh, French Island is double the size of Phillip Island. Is that right? Yeah. But yet only 60 people live there. It's mm. an old desolate prison island. Uh, the, the prison's no longer there, but it was, you know, perfect at the time that it did because of the treacherous surroundings. Uh, not many, well, a couple of people tried to escape, but I don't think many were known to have survived with the... Um, perfect for a penal colony thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, not, not perfect for someone trying to survive your no, incident. No, and the majority of the land is, uh, is na- a national park, you know, forest, whatever you want to call it. Mm. Uh, it, It's got no running water, electricity, made roads, nothing like that. So the people who do live there have to be self-sufficient. I was so fortunate that I found a house within a few kilometres. If I hadn't found that house, there wasn't another one for about 30 kilometres after that. Were you drawn to that? Could you see a light? No, or just well, no. fluke that you went that way. It was a, it was fluke. I, when I had come across or come to shore, I had there was like a, a thin uh, pathway of sand that went left and right, and I had no idea which way to go. So I went right. If I'd gone left, I would have been in the national park, and I would have been lost. Mm. That would have been it for me, I think. But luckily, I turned right, and within you know a kilometre or two, I found an old what do you call it, like, not goat's track, but, you know, an old cattle track. Mm. And I, I ran up this cattle track um, in the dark and then I rounded this corner a couple of k's up and there was a light in the distance. Mm. And uh, and I just ran up to this house and, and knocked on the window. There was a an old retired couple inside. They opened the door and ushered me in they knew exactly where I'd come from I you was wearing a wreck to covered oh. from head to tail in mud I, guess. I was I was I was covered in mud and wearing a life jacket so they knew exactly what it's had happened all right there isn't it mm. so they took me in and and the gentleman was a retired doctor so he quickly checked me over and made sure that I was okay and apart from cuts and bruises and stuff from from going through the mangroves uh I was I was okay so he then went down to the mangroves to see if he could find or see any sight of mum, dad and Bill whilst um, Mrs Forbes put me in the shower and I just felt so guilty being in this beautiful hot, warm water mm. while uh, while my family was just missing out in the freezing cold sea and, and I just stood in the shower and just cried. Mm. You finally let it go sort of thing? 
oh, I just the guilt. That was yeah. my that was yeah. my beginning yeah. of uh, of a, a a path of uh, of self guilt. Well, well, they call it survivor guilt. It's a known phenomenon. Guilt. Yes, yeah. And I only know that by reading your story and looking mm. further into it. But it's a known phenomenon, survivor guilt. Yeah, and I think for so many reasons, for me, like I'd been the person that had been driving the boat at the time that it sank. Mm. I was the person that had left them to go ahead for help. Mm. I'd been the person who had failed to locate them from the helicopter. Mm. And then I'd been the one that had lived. So mm. for so many reasons, I just felt that it was my fault that that they died. Mm. And you're 15. Mm. So, you know, hardly, mm. well, it's an un- unsophisticated mind at that point, isn't it? It's mm. a kid's mind. It's a juvenile mind. Mm. So those sorts of things at that age and evaluations of things aren't, as sophisticated as they're going to be when you get older. Mm. So, so, so from there, yeah. So they they found their bodies the following morning. So uh, a helicopter had came come over to the island, picked me up. Um, as I mentioned, that just then took me over the bay to see if I could locate them, but uh, I I couldn't I couldn't see anything. The spotlight they put onto the bay was just this tiny white dot in among, you know this huge black you know bay that. Uh, I just, I, just, I just couldn't see them at all. So eventually they took me back to the police station at Hastings. I arrived there, I think, around midnight. And they found mum's body. We were notified about 7 o'clock the following morning. And uh, an hour and a half after that, we'd been told that my father and my brother had been located and they'd been floating face down in the water. Just hadn't survived so, it. no. Mm. My God, it's like it's almost impossible to sort of gather that. The... Well, yeah, for me too. Even at the time, it's like you just can't comprehend well, it. It's... For you, mm. yeah, for you. I mean, you're the person that's lived that. Mm. So from the, where, what happens from there? I mean, what? I mean, now you've um, what? Do, what's the reaction to that? What? What? What happens? Mm. You, you're now a, an orphan. Yes. Yeah. So I was sent to live with. Uh, friends of my parents, um, which was a very difficult situation. I um, all I wanted to do was go home. Of course. So I was possibly very difficult for them to deal with. I didn't want to listen to anything they told me to do. Mm. You know, you're not, not my parents. Not my mum and dad. Yeah. Mm, don't tell Jeez. me what to do. So uh, I think they struggled with me, and I struggled with them. So how long are you there for? That I lived with them yeah. until I was possibly 16 and a half. And then I was um, living out on my own from there. So you decided to leave? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So you're 16 and a half with no parents, no brother. Mm. This horrible incident behind you. Mm. Um, and you're living alone? Uh, I, I went to live with others. I actually lost six family members in, in the 12 months. So apart from my parents and my brother, uh, You must two have weeks. done something in a previous life. <laughs> <laughs> I think I continue. Of, of, yeah, I've had a few previous lives, obviously, where I wasn't a very good girl. <laughs> Getting paid um, back. So a, a couple of weeks after my family's funeral, my, my grandmother died and then my my uncle died and then my cousin drowned. 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 Mm. Two kittens and a goldfish. So it just felt like anything I loved, I... Was going away. Well, yeah. yeah. I yeah. thought I was... Um, I thought I was cursed. Yep. I okay. was worried about anyone getting too close to me in case... They're going to pass. Yeah. 
yeah. in case something happened to them too. So I really struggled for um, for the first couple of years. And, and it's, it's funny also how some people will take advantage of mm. you when you're vulnerable. Mm. So I did meet several different people who didn't have my best interests at heart. Mm. Yep. Um, so I, at the age of 15, I started hitting the nightclubs and taking party drugs and drinking alcohol to excess. And I started going down a path of self-destruction. Mm. Well, I'm, you're, you were blaming yourself. Mm. So you probably didn't have a great self-esteem at that point. Um, and why wouldn't that seem attractive? Mm. You're getting, you know, it's probably a way to block it all out. Well, I, I think I was doing anything to numb myself from yep. the pain of my reality. Yes. But in the process of that, I I lost my self-respect mm. and I lost who I was as a person. So in the end, I'd look in the mirror and I hated myself. Mm. You know, I just, I didn't know who this person was. It certainly wasn't the person that my parents had brought me up to be. Mm. Because um, you'd had a very happy childhood. Oh, absolutely! A great I, childhood and a very forward-thinking family, and yes, very religious set, family. Actually, yeah, we yeah, we okay. went to church every Sunday without fail. Yep. But we were an extremely tight family. Yep. Mum was. I would describe mum as the happiest person that I've ever known. She mm. was really at peace within herself. Mm. My father, I would describe as having been. A bit overprotective, maybe a lot overprotective, but I knew that was because he loved us, and yes. and I knew that he wanted uh, his family to be safe, and mm. and we certainly felt that way living at home, yep. growing up at home. We knew that we were loved, mm. we knew that we were well respected, and that each of us were uh, brought up to have our own opinions. Mm. And it was quite a visionary, certainly your father, in regard to the way he thought and his philosophy on life. I know I've looked mm. a bit further into that, and he was quite a uh, quite ahead of his time, wasn't he? He was, yes. Yeah. So he was a doctor who had done, like, uh, apart from being a GP in surgery, he'd also done psychology, and he had sold our home in Baldwin to purchase a country property that he turned into a retreat so that patients who were really struggling emotionally could come and have time out mm. and relax and really focus on what the key was to their emotional state of mind. He didn't believe in just handing out, you know, pills and, mm. and things and saying, go away and take those and you'll be fine. He really wanted to look at the reason behind why, why people were... Um, we're struggling. We've sort of arrived at that thinking a lot more these days. But at that time, what are we talking? The eighties. We're, we're talking. We're talking eighty to eighty-five. Yeah, right. mid eighties. Yeah, we, we talk a lot mm. more about holistic healing and and you know mm. the, rather than just uh, drug therapy or, or uh, um, certainly anyone that had depression or anything like that back in my time was just get on with it. Mm. He was way ahead of the curve, wasn't he? He was. Yes, he was absolutely. For, What's causing this? Mm. Let's fix that. Mm. And, and I think it's interesting. It doesn't matter, you know. You lose your family, you lose your family. But you had what was going to be, uh, looking from the outside, a fantastic home life. Yeah. So not only had you lost your family, but you'd lost all that as well. I'd lost my security. I'd lost the love of my family, and it was at a time in life, you know, 
I was 15 years of age, mm. that I hadn't yet um, progressed or, you know, transformed in, into an adult. Mm. So I didn't know how to grow up alone. Yes. And who, who I really struggled with that. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't have guidance. I didn't have support. Mm. And so I, I um, transitioned into an adult in a very poor, yeah, in yeah. a very bad manner. None um, of those lessons. No, I, uh, I, made, I made a lot of mistakes. Mm. But okay. at the same time, you know, those mistakes have made me who I am today. And yep. Well, you have mm. written a book about it and uh, I've read this book. And uh, we've spoken, we've become friends subsequent to that. And um, one of the things that I've said to you in the past about that book is no one can ever sneak up on Susan and have a fact <laughs> that's going to embarrass her. Because if you read the book, it's it's markedly honest. Um, you've put all the gear in there, the good, the mm. bad, the stuff that against yourself, yep. for yourself. The whole story, is, you can tell when you read this book that it's, uh, it's honest. Mm. And I think that's... That must be freeing to go. All right, whatever you got to tell you, you, you can't. Uh, there's no secrets. Yeah. you've got no secrets. And you're absolutely right with it saying it, it's freeing. For me, I uh, had grown up feeling very, um, not just guilty, but a lot of shame mm. for some of my behaviour. Mm. Uh, so when I started writing the book. First of all, I wasn't, I didn't know if it would ever get published. So mm. I just thought I am going to put, and even if it did get published, I was going to put absolutely everything in it. Mm. And part of it was as well that if it did get published, I wasn't going to act like I'd been this absolute angel and, you know, I'd been a lovely, terrific girl, but oh, poor me, look what happened. Yep, yep. I needed to make it honest because I didn't want people coming out down the track and saying, oh, she pretends that she was a lovely girl, but she was really doing yeah, this. That was bullshit and this, was, this is what really happened. Yeah. Yes, thought, You're never no, going to have that, Susan. I am going to tell it all. I'm going to, I'm going to say it exactly how it happened. I'll, I'll, I will take on board my mistakes mm. and put them all out there. Mm. And what I've this actually... This is what your father probably would have advised you to do, <laughs> you know, with his thinking. You know, put it all out there and, and, and purge it to some extent. I think my father would have been cringing on a lot of the things that I'd done well, in the first I, place, my I goodness. I didn't grow up under a cabbage leaf and I was cringing a couple of times <laughs> reading a book. So um, well, let's talk about that. Um, so let's get to say you're about 20 and, yeah, you're not exactly living a clean life. No. Nope. Um, you're out and about you know, all hours of the day and night, and mm -hmm. um, men were coming and going to some extent in your life? Yes, I, w I definitely uh, found that I was using sex as a way of feeling loved. Mm -hmm. So uh, I have had my fair share of experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah fine. Absolutely, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh. And, and no, none of it served you particularly well? No, it didn't in the end. Like, whilst I was thinking that... Um, using sex as a way of feeling loved, it actually did exactly the opposite. Yes. And I, it took me a long time to realise that. Yep. But in the end, that was part of what made me lose my self-respect. Yes. I wasn't respecting myself. I wasn't respecting my body. Um, I, you know, I, I really had lost who I am. And it, it's amazing how I'm a different person today to the person that I was back then. Mm. But having put it all down on paper, and I had expected, especially you know when it got published, I'd expected to get a lot of flack. Yes. I'd expected 
people to write to me to tell me how disapproving they were of my lifestyle. Mm. But I amazingly haven't had that. People have really embraced it. And if anything, they've thanked me for my honesty. Yes, I totally understand that. In turn, what that has done is relieve all my shame. Yeah. I no longer feel shame for my past. Mm. I feel like I can really just put it all behind me. Yep. And now look to my future and really focus on being now the best person I can be. Yes. Being the person that I want to be and and who I love, you mm. know. Mm. I had been brought up that you should love who you are as a person mm. and I've I've thankfully got that back again mm. now. Well that's clear. Mm. I mean that's obvious to me. That's the I see that all the time. I mean you've got a glow about you and <laughs> uh, you are there's an inner happiness that you can't you can't pretend yeah. that. Yeah. But it took, a, it took a long time to get there. It did, yes. Um, it was a long road. Motorbikes was part of my healing process. Motorbikes again. Mm. But let's talk about um, Will arrives. Yes. So, so that's a big part of your life. Will's uh, uh, Susan's son. Yes. So my, my son, I was pregnant at 19, had him at 20. I named him after my brother, mm. uh, which, is, uh, which was, you know, Beautiful. My, my brother and also my father's twin brother, who I'd never got to meet. He'd unfortunately died before we'd met him. Funnily enough, he was still our favourite uncle. <laughs> so William came along when I was 20 and uh, it, it was a new start for me. I felt like I had family to belong to again and I had someone to love and I had a reason to live. Mm. So he was my first, my first step forward in finding some happiness. Mm. It didn't, um, it, it wasn't, uh, the, the, I, I, I hadn't, I wasn't able to let go of my past yet though. So I was still sad within myself. It wasn't that long ago. You're 20. Mm. It happened when you're 15. So still pretty fresh. Yes. Yes. So he, he did give me a reason to live again, but I was still unhappy within myself. I think that my sadness rubbed off a lot on my son when he was growing up, which meant that he grew up. In his primary school years, a sad child himself, mm. which, um, and you know, I, I made a lot of mistakes mm. as a mother. Mm. Having said that, being a mother is also what I'm most proud of. Yes. I, and you've I have always loved it together. that boy. You know, <laughs> oh, absolutely. From day one through to where we are today. Yes. Yeah. He's, um, he's really been my, my greatest love in my life. Yes. Uh, and, um, and we're best friends now. You know, he's now 26 years of age. My goodness, how time he's flies. But he's a beautiful man. But he did struggle growing up. And it wasn't until he was about eight years of age when he found ice hockey. Mm. And that was the new start for him where he was able to find some happiness in his life. And he found something that he was really good at and that yep. um, gave him self-esteem and he was proud of of his abilities and I was proud of his abilities. Yep. So and you were supportive of that? Absolutely. We were down the rink at the ice hockey rink six times a week. Okay. Yep. That was that became our life. That's the in focus, a way. yeah. Mm. Okay, great. Mm. And he uh subsequent to that, like there's uh uh tell me about um you were living with a, uh an abusive man. So that was William's father. Yep. Yes. He was he was abusive in every way, emotionally, physically, verbally, um, let's just say every way. Yep. Uh, I, A bad person. He, yes, yes. He was also 16 years my senior. Yep. So he was very 
dominating. He, uh, I, w- I was in fear, really. Mm. But it was the emotional abuse that was the worst. Yep. And, uh, and that, that stayed with me for a long time, even after I'd managed to escape the relationship. Yep. I uh, thank. So how, did this rub off on Will? Was like it must have been hard on Will as well to be around that. Did he see that? Well, not not extensively because we left when he was eight months of age. Oh, I see. Mm. Oh, but oh, okay. But the difficult thing for William was that he then grew up without a father. Yes. And I think that he struggled with that a fair bit. Um, everyone else at school had a dad. Yeah. But he didn't. Yeah, um, that's a toughie. And I, I think that that came through even... I, I'll never forget a time... I hope you're not listening to this, William. <laughs> where well, he, well, I hope you are because I need the extra listener. <laughs> <laughs> he was 18 years of age and he was working uh, as a barman at, a, at an RSL. And he came home at night or, you know, in the, the midnight after closing off. And it had been Father's Day. And uh, and he saw all of the other fathers at at the RSL for dinner and and spending time with their children, and he came home and he cried mm. and he said he really hates his dad that he hadn't been around mm. to um Heartbreaking to be stuff. there for him and to yeah at the same time he didn't want a relationship with his father because he was an abusive person and he was aware of that and yeah. he was aware of that um, but. I guess he was angry that he couldn't have had a nice, gentle, loving father in his life. Yeah, which he was probably seeing amongst friends and peers. And yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah like sort right. of understand so, a bit of that. Yeah, so I'm sorry that <clears throat> I wasn't able to provide that for him as yeah. well. Okay. Mm. Well, um, he's now 26 years of age. Yes. Now, we moved probably to happier times. Um, not that there were, you know, I'm sure there was great happiness in that, but... Uh, Susan, you, you had trouble getting in the bath after water. Uh, you know, you were fright, so frightened of water. I yeah, I didn't like being in a bath. I remember only a couple of months after the accident, we had school swimming sports, hmm. and I got in the water and I couldn't didn't even finish the lap. Hmm. I had to get out. It just the fear of being surrounded by water. It just consumed me. Well, of course, it just seems so obvious to me that hmm. that's. Seems entirely natural. Mm. So, uh, it's probably time to say, you know, you've gone on, you're going to be swimming the English Channel next year. I am, I am. So, it's not just from a matter of going from zero to the English Channel. I was challenged after my book was published. I met a gentleman who had read it and he challenged me to face my fear of water and swim the Lawn Peter Pub. Yes. Which is the world's largest open water race. And I, I seriously thought he must have been crazy. Like, I hadn't been in water for 30 years. I didn't own a pair of bathers. But uh, he had challenged me to do it and in the process raised funds for domestic violence. And considering I had been through that, yes. domestic violence, I thought, well, what a great way of, you know, trying to help back and put my, you know, give back to the community mm. and at the same time face my own fears, which is something I had tried to do over the year was face my fears. Mm. I'd done it with heights. I'd done it with riding motorbikes. I'd done it in a whole range of ways, but I had never imagined to do it with water. Mm. Uh, so, look, I accepted the challenge and first of all, I tried 
swimming in the pool. I went down to the pool and my God, I struggled like 25 meters of a pool and my anxiety was through the, through the roof. roof. Yeah, yeah. Yep. So uh, this gentleman had suggested that I start off trying to do 30 laps of a 25 meter pool. Jeez, that's a fair jump. Yes, it is. But I could only, I basically each time I went, I did two laps in freestyle. But I just couldn't do more than that because of my anxiety. Yep. I did do 30 laps, but I was doing side stroke, breaststroke, backstroke, um, using a kickboard. Yep. Anything, Whatever way to get there, yeah. Anything but putting my head in water apart mm. from those two laps. And at least that got me still surrounded by water. Mm. So obviously I still had a long way to go. I had to be able to do freestyle to be able to do the pier to pub. But I had to, first of all, get used to being surrounded by water. After four months, I really wasn't progressing very far in relation to freestyle. Mm. So I went to my doctor and I asked her if she... um would prescribe me Valium. Hmm. I thought maybe if I took Valium if before I swam, yeah. <laughs> it might help Whatever's me to calm work. down and, and help alleviate the anxiety. But she looked at me as if I was crazy then and said, no, you you cannot take Valium before you swim. Yeah, water and Valium. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so she said I simply had to persevere. I then went uh, down to the bay. So uh, th- this gentleman suggested that I try and get out into the open water instead of Big being, step. yes, yes, uh, instead of just being in the pool. So I did some Googling and I went down to Half Moon Bay at Black Rock and met a gentleman there, Peter Hendricks, who was running a, the swimming thing and he's a coach. And I told him my story that I'd lost my family and I had a huge fear of water and that I wanted to um, do the Peter Pub to raise funds. And he said to me, I'll, I'll take you on. I'll be your coach. He did it free of charge, which was just so beautiful of him. And, uh, and for 14 mm. months, he worked with me every, just about every day. So we started in, out in the open water and I totally shat myself. Again, my anxiety was really high. Mm. But he worked with me. He worked on the trauma of my past he worked on thinking about how being out in the open water was in a way bringing me back to where I'd been with my parents and mm. my brother and where I'd last seen them alive. Mm. Uh, he worked on... What a, what a clever man. Oh, he's, he's brilliant. Yep. He's just brilliant. So he worked on, on my stroke and my technique and, and just getting comfortable mm. in the water. And we did it step by step. Mm. So I would meet him every morning at sunrise down in the bay and we would swim even throughout winter. And uh, as time went by, he just it just chipped away at my fear and and gradually that fear dissolved. Mm. And uh, and I did accomplish my goal of, of swimming the Lawn Peter Pub yeah, on the seventh yeah, of January. Are you so, pretty happy with yourself too? Oh my god, I was so proud of as myself. As you should have, as you should be. I was so proud of myself. And um, when I'd first started, it, you know, it, my friend had said it's only one point two k, and it's like, what do you mean it's only one point two k? Like yeah, yeah, yeah. that to me was unachievable yeah. when I couldn't swim. Yeah, it could be twenty five meters of a pool exactly. So I did that and then six weeks afterwards, 
I was challenged to swim the rip, which is across the heads from Point Nepean to Point Lonsdale. And again, that was a huge step for me. That in a straight line is 3.5 k's. Serious water though, isn't it? It's one of the most dangerous, notorious, unpredictable sections of water in Australia. Mm. It has claimed many lives and many ships. Mm. So that was a huge challenge, not just because of the conditions of the water, but you've got container ships that are continuously coming through. And I also had a fear of there being sharks. So um, all of it together uh, was a challenge, but I did complete it. Mm. And again, I I got to the other side and I was uh, standing on point, Lonsdale, looking back at Point Nepean and thinking, wow, look how far we've swum. Yeah. But then I just looked at it and I thought, look how far I have come. Very symbolic. Oh, it was. uh, Those heads, yes. It was. And it was that thing of I've gone from not being able to do 25 metres to doing what ended up being 4.7 k's because you can't swim in a straight line. But I made it. Of of pretty wild water, yeah. Wild water. And... um, and once I'd done that, it was then, okay, well, what's my next what's challenge? Next? And what is it? It's now the English Channel. So <laughs> There's no stopping you, seriously. <sighs> it is in a relay. There's no stopping you. So it's a four-team relay. Yes. And uh, we're booked in. Our, our um, window is the 17th to the 27th of August 2018. Yes. And mm. there's a GoFundMe campaign? There is a GoFundMe campaign. So if people would like to support... Tell us how you can uh, do that. Swim. Uh, they can either go on to GoFundMe and just Google in Susan Berg or the English Channel. It'll come up either way. Or they can go on to my Facebook page, Susan Berg, uh, or just my website, which yep. again is susanberg.com.au. So that's going to allow you to be part of that relay team to, to swim the English Channel next year? Absolutely, yes. Uh, what's, your, uh, what's the goal? Have you got a goal number that you need to get to or...? In relation to finances, finances yeah. uh, fifteen thousand dollars will cover yeah. the costs, and but I'd like to raise more than that because I I want to put all net proceeds to Make a Wish Foundation. Okay, and this for me is important because I know firsthand that uh, life can be short. Mm, yeah, and these the. Make-A-Wish Foundation work with children aged between 3 and 18 years of age who are suffering from, from you know, various kinds of illnesses that yes. can be life-threatening. And I'd like to be able to uh, help some of these children to fulfil their own dreams. Bring some happiness. Yeah. 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 And I think we should all try and and fulfil our dreams in life. Yep. So I'd I'd love to be able to contribute towards that. So all so not net proceeds will go everything everything make over a wish. whatever it costs to do it. Yes, is going to make make a wish. It's yes. incredible. And uh, are you scared of the English Channel? Or? Uh, look, I think it's going to be a big challenge. I don't think I'll be as fearful of the English Channel uh, Channel as I was. 25 metres of a pool when I first started. Mm. Really? Yeah. Which, that's, you know, it kind of seems... That's quite incredible, isn't it? Yeah. You've got the fitness. Um, you're not as... Uh, uh, Susan's selling herself short. She gets up every morning and um, <laughs> I'm still having my third cup of coffee when she's finished her swim in the bay. Um, 
and it's can be uh, pretty bloody cold, and she's still down there doing it. So I, mm. I you know, you don't need my admiration, but um, you have put the miles in, and I see that. Yeah. And uh, even in the short period of time I've known you, I can see the change in in your confidence and comfort within your own skin. Mm. Um, I think you know you don't need, as I say, you don't need my bloody confirmation. But um, I think what you're doing is incredible, and what you've faced and what you've gone through is is um, uh, absolutely inspirational for other people. You're probably sick of hearing all that. You don't want to be an inspiration in life, but that, I want you to know that that's how I feel about it. Um, and you. I'm pretty sure a lot of my listeners feel exactly the same way. So um, I will be helping out a little bit with the GoFundMe and um, I think we should all just, uh, if you can find a few bucks, I mean, uh, make a wish and uh, what Susan's done after facing, you know, uh, it's. I've heard the story 10 times and it still blows me away. Um, and I've told people that story, um, just, you know, I know this girl and this is what, um, and I don't even go into the nitty gritties. You can hear a pin drop. It stops the table. Mm. You know, it's just such an incredible thing that you've risen above and, um, you know, my hat goes off to you. I think it's a sensational thing. And uh, you're also a motorcyclist, which, you know, gets you in the door here pretty quick. Tell us about riding motorbikes. What's going on there? Gosh, I love riding motorbikes. It's such an amazing sense of freedom. Yes. And uh, that was another healing process for me, the motorbikes. Being out, you know, country roads, coastal towns, the wind in my face. It's uh, like a form of meditation. Yes. And uh, and that's that's another area where that just happiness was creeping in for me, getting yep. out on the bikes. So you, you obviously like I find motorcyclists interesting people because they're often uh, pretty comfortable to be alone. Mm. Um, mm. Um, you, you know, even if we go for a ride together, yes, we'll go for a ride together, and we might have lunch somewhere or something like that. But on the trip, you're on your own. Yes. Um, and I think a time in the helmet's fantastic. Has that been you think in the helmet? That's exactly what it is. And that's where I think it's like the form of meditation or um, because you are alone. In, yes. Inside your mind, you've got time to think. Mm. But it's all, it's all like with that wind in your face, it's almost like it helps you to process what you're thinking about. But then the wind just blows it away. So yeah, yeah. you're able to let go yes. of, um, of the torment or the things that are going on inside, mm. inside your mind. And, and by the time you've gone for a great r- ride, got in some fabulous corners, take your helmet off at the end of the day and you feel refreshed. Yep. Look, I'm sure, mm. I'm sure other people get the same thing from other things. Mm. I think that feeling's in, you know, it doesn't matter what you're interested in if you get that feeling out of it. But I do like the uh, solo nature of motorcycling. Um, yeah. it, it allows to be you to be a, an introvert, and I like that. Um, and also I find that motorcycles are interesting people mainly because they've had all day to think in their helmet and haven't been blabbing like you're in a car. You chit-chat and talk about nothing. And I'm on a motorcycle trip, you, you sit and think. Mm. And I know if I've got a really big problem on, if I go for a ride, I can usually come to somewhere near a solution yeah. for it. Yes. Or at least I've thought it through. So uh, between your swimming and your motorcycling, mm. um, you should be a genius. <laughs> I'm the happiest girl alive. Published author. <laughs> I am the girl who lived. You are the girl. Who, in fact, that's I didn't say that. That's an that's the name of the book, the girl who lived. How can we get that? How can we get your book? Uh, it's either at bookstores or you can buy it online, Amazon, any kind of uh, platform. If you like reading on your phone, it's it's an iBook. It's all so, there. Yeah. Well, look, I'm not a big fan of flogging. 
and I don't flog stuff on this podcast, but I'm very happy to um, to say I've read that book. And, and if you want to know more about this story, look, we've only touched on, uh, you know, only part of it here, but um, if you read that book, i tell you what, you won't put it... I read it in a night. Um, I think I started at about 9 o'clock at night and about 4 in the morning I put it down because <laughs> I wanted to know what happened next. Um, and here we are, we've arrived at the point where you're swimming the English Channel. Like, it's incredible. Hmm. So, look, I, I want to thank you for joining us. Um, wish you, you uh, anything else you want to flog while we're here? No, no, no. no. It's all good. How happiness. I think I do want to say something. Yeah, sure. I think that everybody should face challenges. And, uh, and if they're afraid of something, if you can, you know, hit it face on and, and really overcome something that you're fearful of, mm. the sense of empowerment that you get afterwards is incredible. And yep. I really feel that that's a, a great way to start really trying to, you know, enjoying your life and being happy is to face the things that you're fearful of. Good on you. And you're going for a swim tomorrow down at Lawn? Yes, we're doing the, uh, the winter Lawn Pier to Pub. No wetsuit. It's uh, bathers only she's these days. She's absolutely insane. She reckons she's not on the drugs anymore, but I, I'm not so sure. Uh, I'm high on life these days. It's all I need. <laughs> all right, Susan, look, absolute pleasure. Um, I think we should have a cup of coffee or a glass of champagne, one of the two. Um, thanks for joining us. And, uh, Thank you. Uh, and seriously, uh, you're an inspiration. Thank you. Good on you. Well, what about that, hey? I told you. Incredible story. I just... Uh, Absolutely full of admiration for that girl, that woman, I should say. Anyway, moving on. Uh, now, I don't mind a late night at a, at a sleazy, not a sleazy bar, but no, not a sleazy bar. I like rock bars. I like it a bit sticky carpet. And uh, I like to see a loud rock and roll band now and then. And uh, one that I've come across here in Melbourne is El Colosso. Um they have just released a debut album called Pathways. And I tell you what, if you like your rock and roll, loud, dirty, a bit zeppy, even a bit sound garden-y, if anything, uh, you know, it's uh, they're a little new to me and not probably not you, but uh, Soundgarden's sort of taking over my playlist in a big way. Unfortunately, I found them because of uh, the passing of Chris Cornell. But upside is... I've got Soundgarden. Anyway, back to El Colosso. And uh, look, I'm just blown away with this new album. It's uh, Pathways. It's their debut album. This is the title track. And uh, turn it up loud.
Jeez, there's a bit of a crowd in tonight. Keep it down for you, folks. Folks, it's time for Ask Snag. For goodness sake, Ask Snag's coming on. Oh, that's a little bit more like it. Yeah, I've had a couple of letters this week. Now, calm down, you lot. Please. Now, a couple of letters. Interesting, one from a girl and one from a boy, one from a male, one from a female. Non-gender specific, gender fluid, whatever the catchphrase is this week. Let's get straight into it. This one, who's this one from? This is from Jim from Eden in New South Wales. Lovely spot, Jim. Uh, gone backwards a little bit since the whaling's uh, backed off the touch, but uh, I'm sure you're enjoying yourself there on the uh, sunny south coast of New South Wales. Uh, Oyster leases, whales, my first sexual experience in that area, but that's probably uh, from another podcast, not much to speak of, Uh, from Jim. Dear R. Snag, I have two children, a 12-year-old boy and a 16-year-old girl. Nice, well done, Jim, nice mix. They are both convinced that I treat the other better and that the other is my favourite. No matter what I say, they remain convinced that their sibling is much more loved. What do I do? Jim from Eden, New South Wales. Thanks, Jim. Jim, I have a very simple, very, very simple one here. This is not going to take long. I have a couple of kids too. Uh, And I tell the other one... or I tell each one that the other one's my favourite. It's only fair. It's the fairest way you can do it. It keeps them both, uh, you know, unsure. And, uh, you know, uh, there's no favouritism in this house other than uh, I tell the other one that the other one is my favourite. So, look, do that. It will undermine their confidence and well-being and you'll scar them forever. It's fantastic. Um, Very easy, Jim. The other one is your favourite. Now, that's solved. Move on. You can get back down to the uh, unemployment office or whatever it is there in Eden and, um, uh, you know, move on, Jim. Uh, our second letter comes from uh, where Barbara from Lane Cove in Sydney. Well, a nice spot, Lane Cove, isn't it? Very nice. Can afford to own a house up there, Barbara. You must be travelling reasonably. Now, Barbara, she Barbara says, "Dear R. Snag, hmm, I like this one. This is a little delicate," says Barbara. Where am I? But I'm at. Oh, this is a little delicate. But I'm at my wit's end. My husband, Walter, is a great bloke. I'm sure he is. I'm sure he is. You wouldn't have married him otherwise, Barbara. My husband is a great bloke. My husband, Walter, is a great bloke. But he's a bit of a dud in the marital bed. Oh, jeez. Family show, Barb. I'll do what I can, but, uh, you know, if it might be time to put the kiddies to bed. Uh, Barbara says, I'm an adventurous type. Jeez, oh, Barb. And I like to introduce products and ideas to the uh, equation. He's either horrified or asleep. Mm. How do I get a bit of pep in his step? Oh, jeez, Walter. Well, I don't know what you look like, Barb. 
Um, you know, Walter. I don't know if Walter's ever been any good. Uh, whether he's dropped away or, you know, he was ordinary first up from a spelling blinkers. I don't know. You you should have worked that out before you walked down, you know, waltz down the aisle, really. But he may have dropped away. It's not uh, unknown for the middle-aged Australian man to, uh, you know, just train off a bit. We're not all, None of us are what we used to be. We're not all maestros with the love baton. Um, so Walter's probably just really uh, perpetuating the norm. But I would say, Barbara, uh, first up, I've sent you my phone number. Just uh, You might want to speak to me. Who knows? Um, you know, I'll give you a bit of one-on-one um, advice. Uh, but look, uh, I'd probably move on, Barb. You don't say how old you are, and uh, but you do own a house in Lane Cove, so things were all right. Um, but... Uh, uh, yeah, if the horizontal folk dancing's not uh, coming up to scratch, which is a bit like the uh, the scuba diver with uh, dermatitis, really, isn't it? Um, he's due for the heave See you, well. Sorry, mate. Uh, either you, uh, you know, you keep uh, Barbara satisfied or uh, I'd uh, fire up the... Uh, what would you be? I reckon you'll probably be a... Uh, Probably a Toyota Orion kind of guy. Jump in that and uh, maybe head, head further south. Uh, and, uh, you know, let Barb get on with it. What's left of her uh, existence to uh, enjoy it. So, look, while, um, you know, I'm sorry, oh, Barb, I should say, I'd be shifting him on. I mean, f- life's too short. You sound like a fun type of gal. And, uh, you know, he's not a fun type of well. So, uh, see you well. Bye, man. All right, moving on. Our next segment, of course, is overrated, underrated. We'll whiz through this. Uh, had a bit of a think about it. Overrated trams. Now, your tram, he can only go on... There's no surprise with the tram. You get on there, he's going to run the rails. He'll go where he went yesterday. There's, no, there's nothing out of the ordinary with the tram. And what if you need to go up a side street? Or you want to... Mix it up a bit. And I don't like that metal on metal thing. It's it's jarring. And there's that fake uh, ring now in the new trams. You know, bing. It's not even real, but it's... I don't like it. don't like the tram. I liked it in the old days when there was a conductor. I didn't mind that. But the tram, you know, he's, uh, he blocks the road. Um, there's a sort of annoying electrical sound in the tram. Have you ever noticed that? So uh, the seating's a bit communal. I'm not comfortable with the tram, so I think trams are overrated. Now, buses, I love a bus. You can hear that big motor down the back there, you know? You get to choose where you sit a bit more. Um, There's a step up and a step down. The driver's a little bit more accessible. Um, You know, I get on the bus and I I look out the window and it's wistful for me. You know, I, I find the bus wistful. So, trams out, buses in. Koalas. Now, the koala, overrated. Overrated marsupial. Sits there, does fuck all. You go there, you go to Heelsville somewhere, 
have a look at the marsupial exhibit. You've been through the echidnas and uh, moved through the uh, platypus. It doesn't come out from under, under the fucking log. I've never seen the echidna, uh, the uh, platypus. Apparently there's a platypus. Probably just a tank full of mucky water. Anyway, we're not talking about platypus. Uh, koalas. So your Japanese tourist comes out, uh, nervously someone plonks this fat uh, koala into uh, our tourist friend's arms. They look nervously at uh, at the Nikon and get get a shot. Uh, it may piss on you. It certainly won't do anything animated. It's it, there's no surprise. You know, it's not it, it's not an otter. It's not a seal. It's a koala. It sits there. It looks like it's off its head. And it, you know, there's that old. Uh, Apocryphal story that perhaps the uh, the koala's um, stoned off his nut, which uh, I've subsequently found out isn't quite true, but he's a boring individual. If he wasn't as sort of cute, I don't know, they'd still be here, really. I don't know what they're like to eat. They're probably all right. Um, might have a crack at one, I suppose. So koalas, nah. Underrated, your pig. Now, your pig, he's a gift that keeps on giving. Not only is he food, but he's entertaining the pig. You go up to a pig at a fence, he'll snuffle around, he'll have a look at you. He'll, you know, he's, uh, he's animated, he'll do this, he'll do that. He's happy to lay around in slop. Uh, and did you know that the pig, everything you can teach a dog, you can teach a pig. A pig is a highly intelligent animal. He's let down by the fact that he's a bit pink and can be, you know, a bit ugly. And the curly tail, well, that's just a gag, isn't it? The curly tail. What, what the fuck is going on with the curly tail? What help would that have been in the wild, the curly tail? Anyway, your pig, he's, uh, you can teach him to sit, stay. He can be domesticated. He will uh, defecate and urinate outside. Try that with a fucking koala. He's just pissing all over himself. So um, uh, get rid of your koala. No, he's no help. In fact, he's just a burden on society, the koala. So um, off out with him and uh, in with the pig. Overrated Mr Bean. About as funny as a train crash, really. Yeah, good one, Mr Bean. Well done. Oh, you got a green mini miner. That's funny. Uh, oh, news for you, Mr. Bean. Slapstick died in the 30s with Buster Keaton and uh, his scandal. Uh, Charlie Chaplin, mildly amusing. Um, your green mini, uh, your oh, and your, uh, you know, pants that don't quite meet your uh, uh, loafers. No, not for me. Black Adder. Underrated. Superbly written. Uh, uh, brilliantly acted. The screenplays were fantastic. Three f- strong series. Everyone's got its fa- their favourite. Mine's the uh, First World War job. But, uh, you know, compare Mr Bean to Blackadder. Same bloke. Just goes to show, doesn't it? So, Mr Bean, you can fuck off with your little green mini. And... Uh, Rowan, Blackadder, just uh, 
Just a piece of absolute cinematic gold. Well done. And that's overrated. Oh, I've got a burp. Uh, pardon me. That's, you should cut that out. But, you know, that's probably ambiance. Uh Yeah, look. Uh, that's overrated and underrated. Let's head into yet another fantastic El Colosso number. This time it's The Hunted Lament. And, uh, as I say, turn it up. Because this is superb Aussie rock and roll. Enjoy.
There you go, El Colosso with the Hunted Lament. If you don't like that, there's something wrong with you. Just uh, tidy it up a bit. Yep, look, that's uh, uh, Snags' podcast 13. Um, lots of work and lots of stuff in there. Hopefully you had a bit of fun with it. Now we're getting there, aren't we? Um, I enjoyed it. really enjoyed doing this one. A lot of fun. Susan Berg, uh, what an amazing story. Uh, you know, I can't, uh, can't uh, you know, say enough. Um, have a look at that GoFundMe for her. I mean, she's uh, absolutely genuine. She's going to swim the English Channel as part of a relay team. She's uh, overcome a lot of stuff. Uh, she needs 15 grand to go and do that. And then anything over and above that's going to make a wish. So good on you, Susan. I reckon you're a gun. Now, uh, that's it. Um, thanks for listening. Oh, I've got indigestion. What do I have for tea? Chicken stir fry. What about that? Yeah, something doesn't agree with me. Anyway, you probably don't need to know my gastro setup. Um, yeah, podcast 13. Thanks. Um, and uh, yeah, don't let the bastards get to you. Thank you so much.